The following podcast is sponsored by the Hood College Bookstore. Most of us think of the bookstore as just a place to buy or rent books. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not the case. The Hood College Bookstore is a great place to buy all kinds of things. Need some Hood-branded merch? You'll find hoodies and t-shirts, hats and scarves, sweats and socks, mugs and cups. They even have Hood-branded blankets. Low on shampoo or soap? They have you covered. Bad breath before class? Buy some gum or Tic Tacs. Need a pen, highlighter, or notebook? The bookstore has tons. Does your roommate have a dog? Buy them a Hood College leash or collar. Need some Advil or Tums? The bookstore has your back. Need a last-minute birthday gift for your best friend? You'll find plenty of options. What I'm saying is, the Hood College bookstore has you covered for all your gift, school, snack, and clothing needs. Oh, and did I mention, they also have gift cards. Lots and lots of gift cards. So the next time you're in WIT, stop in and browse around. Mention my name, Tim Jacobson, and the name of this podcast, Get to Know a Blazer, and receive 10% off your purchase. Everything that is except books. But listen to the show first. everybody, welcome back to another episode of Get to Know a Blazer, an in-depth yet light-hearted interview podcast that focuses on the many interesting and wonderful people that inhabit our Hood College campus. I'm your host, Tim Jacobson. For those who don't know me, and I'm assuming there are many, I'm the coordinator for Hood College Broadcasting Studios and an instructor of visual media communication. Last week, I interviewed, actually, it was more than a week ago because we've been on winter break. And um, because of the pandemic and the fact that everybody's off campus, Get to Know a Blazer has been on hiatus for, uh, for a little while. But I'm back. The last episode uh, I did was with Bonnie Kern. Uh, Bonnie Kern is our new gallery director. And I think she is really latching on to her job. If you uh, check out the Instagram page, She's doing wonderful things, so uh, that was a great interview. This week, I'm interviewing somebody a little bit uh, different. They've been here a little bit while longer, more behind the scenes, but let's get right to it. Uh, My name is Mary Atwell, and I am the archivist at the college, and I'm also collections development librarian. Tell me a little bit about what that means. What does that all entail for, for you on a normal day? Okay, um, the collections development side is pretty simple. I buy, purchase the books um, for the library and also kind of keep tabs on the databases that we um, subscribe to. Um, I was paying all the invoices as well, but Toby's taken over that job. So now it's just... Good for Toby. Purchase, yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure he's very happy about it, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, he wanted to get a, a better feel for the budget. But um, so when uh, faculty want um, books or movies or something, I will actually go research that, them and, and purchase them. And uh, the databases, that's where most of our, our library budget is spent. As you can imagine, they, they get pretty expensive. I would imagine. So <laughs> it's um, making sure that, um, you know, we're, we're getting 
the right databases for what the students need and and using our, our money correctly. The archive side is a whole different, completely different job, really. Oh, yeah. It's, um, most of what I end up doing with my time on a daily basis is um, uh, reference work for archives. Like, I'll, I'll do um, research for, you know, say Lori um, has something in marketing that she wants um, information on, then I'll go back and I'll look and, you know, pull photographs um, and information um, for whoever wants it. I get um, a lot of requests from other departments like institutional advancement, um, like I said, marketing. Um, and I also get, actually get um, requests from alums or even people who are not related to Hood, but say their parent went to okay. Hood or they're, they're researching an old faculty member, um, things like that. Uh, for instance, I just, uh, I guess several months ago, had somebody um, who was doing research on um, a, an astronomy professor who was very big in China. He helped with the National Astronomy Program, but then he emigrated here, and I think it had something to do with communism. And So he, he was here for a long time, and um, somebody was doing a, um, they're writing an article about him, so they were asking for some background information. The other part that I do is, now that we have this lovely, and speaking of lovely new spaces in our new library, right, it's wonderful. Yeah. I've got like three times the amount of room that we had before. Plus we have a um, processing room, which means I can pull out um, collections and process them, arrange them, um, go through them and create what are called finding aids, which is like the, the standard, um, you know how you have a library catalog for mm -hmm. books, but finding aids are for collections. So they'll um, outline what's in each collection, um, dates, names, subjects, and everything. Um, so we have almost none of those for our um, archival collections, but now I've got this beautiful new space where I can lay everything out and do that and uh, get student interns involved. Um, cool. So that that's the other big chunk of my archives work. How long have you been at Hood? Um, almost eight years. Almost eight years. I, yeah. Why do I feel like it was longer than that? I don't oh, know no. why. <laughs> Where, what were you doing before you were here at Hood? Um, I actually was uh, working part-time at um, the Cibar Arts Library downtown mm -hmm. and um, going to school to get my um, MLS degree. Where was that? Uh, Drexel. Okay. And um, that was online. And uh, other than that, being a mom, driving my teenage kids around everywhere <laughs> before they got their licenses, which <laughs> freed me up incredibly. I kind of got into this in a strange way. Um, when I went to um, college, my degree was history. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was before public history became a thing, or it was like just starting to become a thing, where they taught you... The practical uses of history, like how to run a museum, how to you know uh, run an historical association, or whatever. It was it was more just learning history, okay. and then you were expected to teach it or or write about it. Um, so when I went, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't yeah. want to teach, um, and then I fell into a job um, at Marriott. 
in the headquarters where I did taxes. Totally unrelated. Well, I, that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, completely unrelated. You're but on I was the like, I didn't know what to it. do. You know, I got out of college. I was like, I need a job. I need a job. Yeah. And then I fell into this. Okay. And then I, I, I kind of liked it. I mean, I hate math. But I liked the accounting numbers because it's kind of a puzzle. You get to to figure out where things are going wrong, and it's, and but then it, eventually it was kind of soul sucking because it just didn't match what what yeah, you know I get it my personality or whatever. Um, but then uh, I got married. Well, I, well, step back a little bit. I started a program, um, a library science degree program for archives. At Catholic University, and I was there for half the program. Okay, but then you started the program. You started doing the program, or like you created. I was the a pro- student. Oh, you yeah. were a student. Okay, yeah. And um, I went through almost half the program, but then the recession in the early nineties uh. happened. I got married, and just I got distracted and took a, a leave of absence, which was the worst idea ever, um, and just. We moved farther away from D.C., so it was a bigger commute, and I just, I, I don't know. I kind of gave up on it, unfortunately. So then uh, had my, or got pregnant with my daughter, went on bed rest, quit work, stayed home completely for a while, and then okay. I had twins, and they were very... So you had your daughter and then twins? Yeah, and they were very sick at first. Um, okay. They they had, um, when they were 12 months old, they caught um, RSV, mm-hmm. which is yeah. really, really bad. They they were on ventilators oh. in Georgetown. One of them almost died. And after that, because of the RSV, one of the complications is that um, you uh, can um, get uh, reactive airway disease, which means every time they got a cold, it was a... a Severe asthmatic reactions. Right. So we were in and out of the doctors and the hospital all the time. So going back to work was not even really an option there. until they, they kind of grew out of it, thank goodness, um, midway through elementary school. So I started back in the library part-time. And the, well, the biggest regrets of my life is that I didn't finish that degree. Mm-hmm. So I went back. And right when I started at Hood, was like right as I was ending my degree, Okay. Um, with both times, it was a concentration of archival studies. So, so you came to Hood. Tell me how things have changed for you, like, and how you do your job in that eight years. Because I'm guessing the whole digital revolution and putting everything online, and you talk about ordering books. Mm-hmm. I'm imagining that the ordering of physical books has changed, where the, mm-hmm. there's a lot more of a digital online component to that. Yes, there is. When I first started, it was kind of weird because I started as part-time archivist, and I was only the second archivist to be at Hood. Really? Yeah. The first one was only there for about nine months. She was just out of school. How did and we not just, have an archivist all these years? What did we do I with everything? No. They just like throw it in the closet? Basically, yeah. Wow. And then um, the library director, Jan Samet O'Leary, she would take care of any kind of reference questions doing research and and such but by and large the collection just sat there and that's why we don't have these finding aids that I was talking about Um, we don't have the inroads to the collections that people can just go I want to see this and I can pull it out yeah but now you're working on that yes yeah yeah it's gonna is it gonna take a long time oh yeah I mean I could honestly to do it fully to the extent of 
perfection or whatever, it would be like decades. Wow. But, you know, there, there's a whole bunch, you know, in the archives world, there's doing, doing it so everything is documented and, and set completely described but then nobody gets in there for for years because you're working on this or you do it you know middle of the road just enough to to get people in to so that the the art the um collections are available that makes sense that makes sense so that's a whole big that that seems a little bit more kind of uh, a realistic for for everybody yes to be able to do it that way yeah so when the person who was um jan's assistant who did all the ordering, she did all the accounting. She retired and Jan was about to retire and she said, I don't want to bring in somebody new. So she created this position where I had two different, completely mm-hmm. different things and she asked me to apply and I did. And you got um, Yeah. <laughs> and so when I first started, we were still purchasing things by sending a list to our book jobbers, a physical list in the mail of the books that we wanted. Wow. Because Phyllis was not very, she she was very, very organized and did a wonderful job of all her recording, but she hated electronic stuff. So I stopped that and we, we do it electronically now. You just go in, you know, just like Amazon, you build your cart or whatever. Yeah. But they she wasn't even doing that at the time. So there were these smaller changes that were seemed like we should have already been there, but it's fine. Um, we used to buy a lot, a lot of books. Now mm-hmm. we're not buying many. We're just buying enough to to try to refresh the collection every okay. year and to um, fulfill faculty needs. But other than that, the bulk of our our um, our money, like I said, is is. Um, tied up in electronic databases and some of those actually have there are two collections that we have that are academic book ebook collections so we do have a lot of ebooks out there for students now is that kind of the norm for most universities where they're going more electronic purchasing less books is that something that's kind of i don't want to call it a trend but it's just Mm -hmm. kind of that's the way things are going yeah where people are doing more electronic collections Mm mm-hmm Definitely. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's both. I mean, it's good that, you know, you can be at home or, you know, in your dorm and you can pull up something and work Accessibility. on it immediately. Mm-hmm. It's great. But at the same time, there's a lot of evidence that students like physical books. Yeah. Well, a lot of people do. And I, I know just my own studying when I was going through school, I would print out every article that I had to read and mark it up whatever i just find that easier i think a lot of people do so there's kind of a give and take plus i would hate to see our book collection become antiquated yeah um you really want to make sure that it's it's fresh and i think with smaller institutions i think it's definitely a trend i would say with the larger universities uh, like land-grant universities they still have the funds to be able to make sure that their, their print collections okay. are are really current, but I think with you know with the smaller school like us, those databases are so expensive. Oh, I would imagine. Just, like the American Chemical Society, I mean, how many chemistry majors do we have here? Probably not many. Yeah, probably ba- basically probably two dozen. 
Yeah, it's twenty nine thousand dollars a year for that database, and that's just a year. You know, yeah. you don't you don't don't get to keep. You got to do that. So you got to renew it every year. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people that that kind of behind the scenes money that goes out mm -hmm. that people don't. You know, it's twenty nine thousand dollars a year. That's just one collection. How many different collections do we have? Yeah. That costs a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So let's get away from that. Um, mm -hmm. Where'd you grow up? Um, and well, I was born in Connecticut and then moved soon to New Jersey. And then when I was six, I moved to Silver Spring, okay. Maryland. And so you didn't spend a lot of time up north. You came, yeah, you came, came to Silver came Spring pretty quick. when you were young. Siblings? Yeah, I've got a um, younger brother and sister. Okay. Did you guys get along when you were growing up? <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> No. Who was the who was the instigator? So, so you're the oldest. Mm -hmm. So who was it that normal dynamic of older, middle, younger, where the younger one is always, you know, kind of getting everybody else into trouble and the middle child is like, just help me. Or how what was that family dynamic? Um, I would say the youngest was my brother, so he was the youngest and a boy. He didn't well, it did cause some trouble later on, but when we, we were really young, we were just like, we didn't have any time for him. Okay. That was terrible. How much younger um, is he than, than you? Only four years. Oh, that's so not, not okay. that So, yeah. so yeah. you guys are still in the same generation. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. And then me and my sister, we scrapped. We were pretty, we were close in age too, just okay. under two years apart. Now, did you guys get along or did you? Yeah. We kind of, we got along better when we were younger, but then, mm. you know, we had this weird thing in Silver Spring. They were messing around with the school district lines because they were trying to desegregate some of the schools. Okay. We actually ended up, my sister and I, at different high schools because of this. Oh, really? Yeah. I was kind of taken from our home school area and brought out to Wheaton. I mean, I'm a white kid. and did you I went to, did you, So did you go to Wheaton? Uh, no, I didn't. I was supposed to. I went to um, Oakland Terrace Elementary for half of my elementary. Then they moved us to Sligo Middle School, which is junior high back then. And then we were slated to go to Northwood, but then they decided, oh, you're going back to your home, home school, which was Montgomery Blair. Okay. Um, and, but then two years later, my sister ended up in Einstein. The way they were doing all this crazy District it was very weird. It's very disruptive, Oof. and it didn't help with the family dynamic. I would um, think that would be really hard, where you have two completely different high schools. Yeah, yeah, and I could walk or, to mine, and she could middle school. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then completely. Where did your brother end up going? He, did he go to Einstein? Or go to, he went to Einstein. He yeah. went to Einstein. Okay, because yeah. that's where they changed it. What did your parents do? Uh, my dad is a lawyer. Okay, um, what kind of law? Uh, corporate. Corporate, okay. Yeah. And my mom was, they met when he he was, um, you know, a lawyer in a, a corporation or whatever, and um, she was a secretary. Okay. She went to high school. She didn't graduate with any other degree. They got married. She was very young. She eventually went back to school. Good for her. When I was, um, when I was in school, actually, she mm -hmm. went back and got her degree and got her master's. But that was a long, a long yeah. journey, too. Tell me about like um, like growing up, family vacations. Did you guys go like you know typical every summer? You know, pack up the car, drive mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah, we used to go to um, Bethany Beach. Okay, which I love. Did you go every summer? Like yeah. same place? Yeah, 
And then um, this was when we were younger. And then we, we got a, um, my parents bought a cabin out, um, I guess it was like a half hour west of Winchester, Virginia, up in the, the hills. Mm -hmm. And we started going there, um, which I loved, except for that's when I discovered all my allergies. I just oh. ended up being allergic to everything. Uh, so we go there and I'm like, I can't breathe. <laughs> I want to get outside but, and enjoy everything. And then yeah. you do and you're like, no, I can't. Can't breathe. Yeah. Oh, that stunks. It, yeah, oh, it did. Um, so then there was a whole bunch of, you know, allergy. I went to an allergist and got allergy shots, but that okay. was... My brother grew up getting shots. Yeah. Getting, you know, childhood allergies. Okay. Like, mm -hmm. All the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's two years older than I am. Mm -hmm. And he's, I mean, he still has some, some issues. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But not as bad as it was when, oh, you know, that's good. when he was, you know, when he was growing up. Yeah. They, they really helped me because I was allergic to all kinds of weeds and trees or whatever. And of course, animals. Now it's the trees don't bother me things like okay. that so i can go outside i mean hiking is one of my absolute favorite things so uh what's so speaking of that just because mm -hmm. i i actually just spent um five days in saguaro uh -huh. national park down in wow. tucson okay um i did 32 and a half miles of hiking in wow. three days okay <laughs> <laughs> you must be tired um well the whole point of the trip was to kind of do this kind of mind reset okay you know and just to get my priorities straight. Right. I wanted to get out and, and okay. do hiking because that's, I think, um, worth it. Well, I do, but I think a lot of people can talk to themselves yeah. and figure things out when they're hiking. Yeah. yeah. Where's your favorite place to go hiking around here? Um, like, are you like a, a sugar loaf? Do you like to go up in a watershed or is it, you know, any place different or where do you like to go? We used to go to Sugarloaf all the time, but now it's so crowded. It's, it's just, you know, now that they've expanded the parking area and stuff, I just yeah. don't really enjoy it anymore. Me neither. But we've been exploring the um, Seneca Greenway. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. That's really nice. And it's 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 just amazing that there's all that green space, mm -hmm. you know, right in Montgomery County. Right. Um, and it's it's not very crowded. It's, it's really good. great. So that's that's what we've been concentrating on. Yeah. My go-to is up in the watershed. I think there's okay. a lot of places that you can just kind of um, okay. duck into. Mm -hmm. There's a, um, a hiking group that I follow on Facebook. And like all the time they're like, hey, what's everybody's favorite place to go? And I'm like, I'm not telling you. Right. I don't I don't want to tell you where exactly. my favorite place to go is. Because the reason mm -hmm. I'm going is to... I'm, I think it's great that the pandemic, I think, has... I don't think it forced everybody, but I think it it kind of brought a greater appreciation yes. for going out and hiking and doing mm -hmm. things, and which is I think is great. But now you know a lot of the trails are crowded, yeah, because everybody's like, hey, you know, we can't do all these other things, mm -hmm. but we can go out and take a hike and we can walk. Like I know, right. um, like I used to go to Annapolis Rocks all the time, go to mm -hmm. Black Rock and all that. You can hardly go now because the parking okay. lot is so crowded. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think, what's great about people going out, but, you know, people don't know trail etiquette. No. You no. know, they're going out there and they're, you know, they'll have a, a speaker on their backpack and that's the music or mm -hmm. they're, you know, they're just not treating things, you know. So I'd like to get that. I didn't know you were a big hiker. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um... So tell me about your kids a little bit. You have you have mm -hmm. a daughter and twins, mm -hmm. boys or girls? 
Um, a girl and two boys. Um, okay. So my daughter is almost 24. Her birthday's next week. She is a PhD student right now at University of Pittsburgh. Good for her. For computer science. Computer. Yeah, wow. Yeah, she's a math whiz. I don't know where she got it because it's, it's I was going to say, <laughs> I was just going to ask, like, where did, where did she get the math? Yeah, I think from my husband and my dad. Okay. They're both big math people. But she loves it. I, I look at her stuff and it's like, this This really could be like the Rosetta Stone. I don't understand you any of no. it. So. <laughs> uh, and then the twins? Yeah. Um, they are identical twins. Um, they're mirror twins, which means that they have um, one's left-handed and one's right-handed. Which I've is, never is heard different. of that before, mirror twins. Yeah. I think it had something to do with the, the time, like how many days before the egg splits. Really? And I don't remember if it's like, I think it's the later the egg splits, the more likely that they could be mirror twins. I've never heard of mirror twins before. Is there yeah. like, do you know what the percentage is of twins that are mirror twins? Or I don't no. even know if they keep track of that kind of thing. They probably don't. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the identical part is like more of the draw okay. of, of that. But um, and they're how old? Um, 21. 21. Okay. So yeah. they're all, they're all out of school. Um, no, the, actually, the well, the, well, out of like regular, yes, so you have one yeah. of the PhD students and 21 yeah. there, are they going to graduate in the spring? Um, no, actually my, um, the one son is at UMBC, he's in mechanical engineering. He, he's a junior this year, so okay. he'll graduate next year. Okay. And the other one just decided that he wanted to join the Marines. So we wow. were not happy about it, you know, just because he's a really smart kid and we did just felt like he would want to, you know, whatever. I, I don't know if it's snobbery or whatever, but we're like, you know, you need to go to school and, and maybe because I work in a college, <laughs> but um, he decided he really wanted to do that. He didn't want to do it as, you know, going through ROTC or anything. Well, Marines don't have ROTC right, anyway, yeah. but um, he wanted to start from the bottom. So he, he's now at Camp Lejeune okay. and he's going to Okinawa. Um, in a couple of weeks for his wow. second deployment. And then then he was he was talking about getting into um, EOD, ordnance disposal, mm -hmm. and signing up again. But now he's like, nah, maybe I want to go go to school now. Okay. So he's he was always always planning to go to school eventually. Um, he wants to go to Maryland for mechanical engineering wow. also. But yeah, it's it's a little nerve wracking. I mean, I mean, we fully support him well, with good. his decision. But still, just... you're a parent, and mm -hmm. you know, yeah, you know, my my kid drives two and a half hours back to school, and I, oh, I golly. freak out until they get there. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like it's been three hours. Why, exactly. you know? And they're like, I stopped and got something to eat, and I'm like, all right, you have. Yeah, just let me know. They're like, Ma or Dad. I'm like, oh, okay. you know, I still yeah. freak out. Yeah. Well, I mean, both my kids have graduated now. Katie just graduated. She's my youngest. Okay. Um, she graduated last spring. Mm -hmm. So she's out in the working world. Oh, as wow. is my son. Um, I, I always throw in some kind of um, off-the-wall question. Okay. Tell me something that you're bad at that you wish you were good at and not math. Oh, darn. That was the first thing that came to my can't mind. can't be math. So some, you're um, like, man, I wish I was better at this. Okay. Um... Would it be a cop-out to say public speaking? No. 
because I really, I this job, I didn't realize how much public speaking I would have to do. Okay. But I, there are, I've been on TV, you know, with the, the, the crushes that we have in the library. Somebody came in with a camera for that. And, and I've been in the, the newspaper a couple of times. Yeah. So I've had to have interviews. But I, I find that, and, and talk in front of people, I, I find that really hard to do. Hmm. So I wish I was better at that. You get better at it. I mean, it's one of those things that I think you have to do a lot of yeah. to be comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. You know, as a as a professor, you're you know talking all the time, and mm-hmm. um, but there's other situations where I'm not comfortable. Uh-huh. You know, I'm fine in that situation. Put me in a classroom situation, and I'm you know okay, I'm super comfortable. But then mm-hmm. you know, if it was something where you know I'd have to uh, you know be in a group of other other people or mm-hmm. whatever. Well, well, there was a time <laughs> recently <laughs> where I had to do the um, you know the tea and talk um, yes. sessions. Well, I had to do one, and it was right before Christmas, so there were only a handful of faculty, and they were online, because I had to do it online and in person, so oh, I had library yeah. people in person, faculty online, I was totally intimidated by that, that dual duality. It's, I hated it, yeah. I don't know I, how faculty are doing, were doing it. It was a nightmare. Online. I mean, yeah. we did it and struggled through it, but... yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if it rains outside and you gotta, you're hiking, you're like, I gotta finish, you can't... Right. Hide under a tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't, it's, it's, it was tough. Yeah. I, I really feel for you because I, I would not want to do that every day. No. Well, every, everybody yeah. that I talked to who was hybrid mm-hmm. had the same. Okay. It was just, you feel like you're failing your students one way or the other. You just right. don't feel like you're doing an adequate job and there's no way that you can. Yeah. Yeah, you're stuck. You're stuck completely. here, like, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just you can't engage with those students at home while yeah. keeping those students who are in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get better at it. I hope so. Yeah. I've gotten better at it than when I started. Yeah, it's just so. a confidence thing. Yeah. The more you do, the better you get. Yeah. What's the coolest thing in the collection? Like, for you, what's the coolest oh, single boy. item that you're like, this is really cool? Single item, or just a collect, you know, or a collection, or a collection. I would say our homegrown film collection. Okay. Um, President Apple, back in the late twenties, he 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 kind of became an amateur film buff. Mm-hmm. He loved creating um, films. So we've got all these clips of, you know, that from the late twenties, early thirties yeah. of students at Campus Day, or yep. yeah, we did. The, um, my students did that project where they yeah. uh, put that all together, and I it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's so funny to see it, and you you're just this is wonderful. I love it. Oh, I, I thought it was that, fantastic. Yeah, that that's one of the things when we, when we were talking about digitization and everything. That is a conundrum I have here, that we have two digital digital collections now. We've got photo our photo collection we sent off to get digitized, okay. and then the films. The, when I first came here, I opened up the one of the um the movable shelves and the vinegar smell just like hit you in the oh, face no. from um vinegar syndrome from through the de- degradation of the film yeah so um we jan had some extra money set aside so we sent it out to a company that that will clean yeah they'll rewash um, it they'll yeah. stabilize it mm-hmm. yeah there's a whole process of removing a lot of that 
excess chemical uh-huh. that stays on the film that you can't get rid of unless you yeah wash it and stabilize it. And I don't think they had that back then. Yeah, or that ability to to yeah. wash it completely. Yeah. So and and they um of course digitize the films as well. So we've got these two wonderful collections. But we don't have any way for them to be out there for everybody. I'm the only one who has complete access to them. Hmm. Because what you really need is a platform, uh, you know, a digital repository. Yeah. But those things are so expensive. It's like ten to $15,000 a year to subscribe to something to put these, yeah. these materials on. And that's just kind of a luxury right now. I, I, wish, I wish it wasn't, but with, the, with everything else... Well, yeah, that's, I mean, to be able to do that. I mean, you look at the National Archives, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that collection. Yeah. You know, I think we're blessed to be able to just get, go to National Archives. Yes. And pull up something mm-hmm. and go, oh, there it is. Yep. You know, um, that has really to be are. huge amounts of money to put that all together and to maintain it. Yeah, it really is. Crazy. So that's my, my one wish, if I could do anything, is... Win the lottery, give the money, and you know, or be able find to a do donor. Like I mean, or find a know, donor. If we can yeah. find a donor or a grant or something. Mm-hmm. You know. Unfortunately, grants won't tend not to. You can find grants to digitize a collection, but when it comes to getting a repository or something over okay, and over that you're spending for, they they don't really. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and I'll tell you the weirdest thing. I mean, the creepiest thing I found there was um, nitrate film that was degrading. We had some nitrate film. The silver nitrate film? Yeah. And it was starting to turn to powder. And I was like, oh, oh no. we got to get this out of here. Or this place could, you know. Yeah, that's very, a very, very unstable. Because you could, yeah. I mean, any kind of, uh, st- it's static electricity that'll set off. Yeah. It. And it makes oh, that'd be its, bad. creates its own oxygen. So it's very, very hard to put out. And mm-hmm. um, it's kind of had to go through this whole oh, thing God. of calling. It's, it's hard to get rid of, too. You have to find a... A company that deals with extra unstable materials okay. and then you have to find special drivers because trucks just don't transport that right. you have to have a special yeah. license for it so I remember when an 18-wheeler that's we got rid of it when we were over in um, in ad temporarily during the renovation okay this huge 18-wheeler comes up and get this big bucket out and sign all these papers and they take it away. And I just felt like the weight of the world was lifted off of me. I can imagine. Because it had been sitting there for a while and it just... Yeah, it's like a ticking time bomb. So, you know, like very silent, you know. You just come in one day and you're like, oh, guess what? Right. (laughs) You know, the conditions were right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. How was that during during the renovation? getting moved was it kind of just like all right this is what we have to deal with and we'll just you know power through it it pretty much was yeah I mean we had to um over the two years before we we really had to reduce the collections because we went from you know basically three floors of books to one floor um so we're just well that was kind of it was controversial too yeah. You know, with the, the, the blue, I don't know if you remember the big blue metal containers outside of the back of the library. Um, that's where we were recycling the books that okay. we were getting rid of, and people were very unhappy that they were there, but mm, really we just do. didn't have any choice. But we had a lot of stuff that needed to come out mm-hmm. um, that just was either outdated or just never should have gotten in there in the first place. Yeah. 
So yeah, I know. Um, I don't know if it was you or somebody else, but it was right before the renovation. But they're like, hey, there's all these photography books, you know, that oh. nobody's ever checked out. Do you okay. want them? I'm like, yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think it took me. I don't. I, there was maybe six, six, seven boxes, and it took me like three days to go through them all, okay. just to try and figure out, like, all right, what would my students right want? What can I give to somebody and say, here's something that I think you might be interested in stuff mm-hmm. that is just like, Ugh. yeah. And I saved more than I thought I would. Okay. You know, I still have them in my office in Tatum. Yeah, we. That's. Um, it's kind of cool. The to see all that stuff. You faculty know. got really upset about us weeding. With that, we had parameters that we were doing, like checking out mm-hmm. um, the other other parameters as well. But they got very upset. So what we did was we came up with lists per discipline and allowed people to see lists from other disciplines if they were interested. And sure. so these were all yeah. the books that we we're getting rid of. If you want to come over, so that's that's where that yeah. That came I think from. this was like nobody has checked out this book in a certain amount of time, and mm-hmm. why are we have it? I'm like, I get right. that. If nobody's checked it out. Mm-hmm. Why is it there? Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like that, you know, can of food sitting on the back shelf. It's like nobody has used this. Right. Why don't we <laughs> donate it or do something? That sounds like my closet now at home. Um, yeah, there was uh, there's some kind of mathematical formula out there. It's like three or four bucks. So three or four bucks a year per book on the shelf is the cost of yeah. having the materials there. I but don't know. You but add that up. Yeah, yeah, then it, it gets to be a lot. Yeah. If you weren't here, mm-hmm. what where where would you want to? What would you want to do? Like, so what would what would Mary's dream job be? My dream job? Yeah. Probably to work for the National Park Service in Ellis Island, and work on their records. Oh, I would just be. I would love to do that, or work in the the New York Public Library. You know. With okay. the lions, I just love that that building. I don't know, it's just like mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Um, I love New York City too. Do you? It intimidates yeah. me. Uh, yeah, I grew I up outside of Chicago, and okay. I was you know growing up like mm-hmm. we'd go down to the city all the time. But uh, my wife grew up out in New Jersey, just outside mm-hmm. of New York, uh-huh. and she'd take you know take me to the city, and I'd be like. Uh, it's too big. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it was just, and I don't know, understand why. Yeah. It's just intimidated me a little bit yeah too much. i don't know why I, I lived there for a year with my college roommates the year after we graduated okay. and in manhattan and i just loved it yeah it i think wonderful. you i think it's either, either you like or hate it. yeah <laughs> or not hate i don't it hate it i just but... yeah i was just like uh, there's i don't mm-hmm. know what it is I'll, I'll figure it out one of these days yeah my husband's like that he's like mm. yeah yeah i feel like frederick's getting a little bit too big when i oh, moved yeah. here and i moved to frederick in 89 Okay. You know, and it was a little small mm-hmm. then. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, mid-90s, early 2000, you know, when we started getting, like, there was great restaurants. Yeah. And it was a good downtown feel. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the linear park, the Carroll Creek Park was, you know, was done and there was stuff going on. Yeah. And everybody's like, this is great for Saturday and there's so much stuff. And, and, and now it's just like everybody's like, hey, Frederick's got this really cool thing going on. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's coming here because we have this really cool thing. Yeah. And we're like, this is great. Can you just visit? Right. <laughs> stop, I know. Stop moving here. Yeah. We moved here in 93, I think. And then at the time we had to, we were working down in Bethesda and we went to grocery shopping at Giant in Germantown because 
we were in southern, um, we were in Adamstown, so okay. south of the city. So there really was nothing there. There were no grocery stores yeah. or anything. Um, Are you still in Adamstown? Yeah. yeah. And you now, still have of to course, go. there are tons. Yes. But, you know, it's like 15-minute ride. But it's just, I don't know, you look at Urbana now, and it's just a sea of houses where it was just beautiful fields before. Yeah. It's, it's depressing. Yeah, it is a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, um, Urbana, the whole new market area, mm-hmm. you know, kind of building up. You have everybody who's coming from Baltimore that, you know, settles in that um, Yellow Springs new market. And you have people coming okay. from D.C. who are in that Urbana, mm-hmm. you know, Himesville yeah. area. Yeah. yeah. I, I Sometimes I'm like, could we have just stopped the growth like I wouldn't seven, mind. eight years ago? You know, yeah. what it was back I mean, then. It's, I get it. You know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's kind of hard to stop it but i yeah. wish we would just slow it down a little bit yeah maybe yeah i think I we're good now but yeah. you know a lot of it is you know people i think blame developers uh-huh. but if you look at it the majority of the the land that developers are developing are are farmland because farmers can't make a living anymore right and uh-huh. if you want your legacy you, know, you can sell you know if you have 40 acres uh-huh. you can sell it for a couple million dollars yeah that's hard to walk away from it is. If you're somebody really who's just hard. like, you know, I'm not making any money, it's too hard, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for coming in. Oh, thank you. Uh, one last question. The sure. last question I always ask is, um, mm-hmm. who do you think I should interview next? Ooh. Hmm. Um, I'm going to put Dr. Harrison on the spot. Okay. Because he's... he's He's just had such a crazy career, you know, in, in working for the government and now history. It just very techy, but also I don't know Dr. Harrison. Oh, uh, Dr. J. Harrison. He's okay. in the history department. All right. I'm gonna reach yeah. out to Dr. Harrison then. Yeah, he's he's you just listen to him. I'm like, you should be eighty for all the experience you've had because you just crammed it into, you know, short period of time. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you. Oh, thank you. I love to interrupt. Mirror Twins. I had no idea. Yeah. Something to look it up. And <laughs> now I, I'm going to have to go because I'm going to have yeah. to I'll force myself to go and try and find out like what percentage of identical twins uh, are okay. Mirror Twins. Right. I think that's super fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. We did a DNA. This was before, you know, Ancestry.com went crazy with the DNA kits yeah. and everything. But you could still send away for um for kits and we did the cheek swabbing and sent them in you either did the 98 dollar version which it could not be used in court or like 500 dollars for like court cases and stuff so we went with the cheap version but yeah i hope you don't have to use it in court <laughs> no i hope not to <laughs> that would be a little strange that would be odd yeah wow that's really super cool well thank you okay thank you right. yep. that's our show for today I would very much like to thank uh, Mary Atwell for being on the show this week. She did, uh, after the episode was over, um, she uh, she let me know that she forgot uh, to say that her and her siblings, like most older siblings, they now get along wonderful. Uh, I think there's a lot of us who can relate to not necessarily getting along with our siblings, when we were growing up, but now that we're older, uh, we uh, have buried some hatches, mended some fences, so to speak, and we get along great. And I did 
look up the percentage of identical twins that um, are mirror twins, and it's 25%, more than I thought it would be. So there you go, a little tidbit of information for everybody. 25% of identical twins are mirror twins. I'll see if I can get a hold of, of Dr. Harrison. That sounds like a great interview. Until then, I'm your host, Tim Jacobson. Thank you for listening to Get to Know a Blazer. As always, be kind to each other, and more importantly, be kind to yourself. Take care. The lead-in and lead-out music for our show, titled Grandpa, is written and played by none other than John Medallis. Get to Know a Blazer is a production of Hood College Broadcasting Studios.